I'm Andy Green, and this is the Naked Man Podcast. My guest this week is Matt Chamberlain, my first true L.A. friend. Living up to cliches, we met in an improv class, but we truly connected over movies. After class, we'd walk to CineFamily on Fairfax and watch whatever weird film was being screened, whether it was the bizarre films created by the UFO-crazed Unarian cult or a retrospective on Robert Downey Sr.'s independent movies. In many ways, Matt was my shepherd into the wonderful and eclectic Los Angeles that I love, from the late great restaurant critic Jonathan Gold to Bob Baker's Marionette Theater introduced me to my favorite restaurants like Howlin' Ray's or Gorilla Tacos, whose chef Wes Avila catered my private wedding ceremony last year. Matt is thoughtful. It shows in his gifts from Hot Ones-inspired hot sauces or bewildering cameos from Twin Peaks actresses. His thoughtfulness extends to Halloween, when instead of opting for a recognizable and safe choice, he always creates his own character, like the puppeteer or Jim the Bowler. But what I love most about Matt is that he cares about things, a lot. He takes things seriously. He's patient, he's loyal, a lover of animals and of events with long lines. I'm often afraid to do what I want with other friends because I'm preoccupied with whether they would like it. I never worry about that with Matt. He's always along for the ride for other people's passions, no matter what, which is something I'd like to think we both share. If Matt has an adventure in mind, I'm down and vice versa. This podcast is my latest adventure and I'm so excited and honored that Matt agreed to join me to talk about masculinity and our difficulties with expressing emotions. Matt Chamberlain, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, that was a very lovely, lovely introduction. And it brings back some good memories. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy writing them because it, it does sort of, it's the retrospective of our friendship in a way to like lead me into here. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the, the Chamberlain brain with you right now. Hopefully that's not too scary. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're welcome. You're welcome. I, I <laughs> you're very welcome. Have a seat. Have a seat. Uh, if you need a drink, I can uh, give you some water. Tab cola. <laughs> tab cola. Yes. Yes. I got tab cola in the fridge. In the fridge. Do you actually in this moment have tab cola in the fridge? Not right now. Oh man. <laughs> All right. That was our first nugget of honesty for today. Uh, so Matt, like, uh, welcome. And how are you feeling in this moment? How are you doing today? Um, today I woke up, I ran a couple miles on a treadmill with a mask on. Then I went home, I picked two oranges from my tree and I ate them. Kind of tweaked my back when I was picking the oranges. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm so, is your back okay? Is that just, just like a sign that we're getting old when like normal things <laughs> just hurt us? Yeah, my back is, uh, my back's okay. It'll be fine. Were the oranges worth it though? They were. They were because it's getting to the point in the year where there aren't many left. And you really need to like, you know, I was jumping. What I was doing was I was jumping. I was leaping trying to grab an orange and then sometimes I would fail and then I would have to do it again until I successfully got the orange I wanted. 
Okay, so yeah, it's a more strenuous task than how you described it first, where it just like sounded like you're just plucking an orange from a tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I'm with you there. For me, I was going to ask you, like on, on days of recording, I am always anxious. Even though I know you have known you for seven years, it's not like the stakes are low, right? Uh, this isn't live. I'm not on stage. But I was going to ask you, like, what do you do on a performance? Because I'm basically a blob. I try to go outside, go for a walk, um, you know, and mm-hmm. try to get my head out of it. But it doesn't really, I'm still just in it. Uh, are you, do you get nervous for things? Um, I feel like there's always a little bit of nerves. Um, I feel like that's part of, I feel like you need that. I feel like you can't really perform without some nervousness, but I do, I do try to exercise. I would say if like before a big, any kind of thing I consider to be a big performance, um, I'll definitely try to get some exercise. Okay. You hear it here. Um, and then I have, a, I have a very important question for you to lead us in here. Uh, what is your, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? Favorite Ninja Turtle is Donatello. And, and there was no hesitation there as it, it was always Donatello and will always be. Is that, is that accurate? He's my I mean, favorite. Yeah. I also, I will say I also, I mean, I also liked Raphael. Mm. Um, he's kind of a wise guy. And uh, who, I mean, who doesn't like Michelangelo? I feel like everyone likes Michelangelo. Yeah, he's the fun one. He was, well, he was the kid, the, you know, when we were kids, I think Michelangelo was the, the favorite because for obvious reasons, he was the party dude. He liked pizza. He was the most obviously childlike, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think Leonardo people liked because even though I think he's the most boring, but he's the leader, right? Like, and I think that like, there's some sort of power trip there. And also, you know, blue is a cool color. But yeah, I think Raphael and, and Donatello, I would say that my two favorites too. I think Raphael is that, he has that anger and frustration. Mm-hmm. He was really annoying to me, but I think it was because I saw myself in that of being like, you know, this guy's pissed off and he doesn't know how to show it, you know, without yeah. you know fighting, basically. He has an attitude. He has yes. an attitude. Right. And, and that's sort of, and also he has the, he's the color red. So it's sort of like, yeah, there's, he's the, he is the wild card, like you said. Um, and then, but yeah, I am the same way. And maybe that's why we're friends. Uh, Donatello, that was my, my turtle. Or why did you like Donatello? I mean, that's a good question. It's been so long since I've watched Ninja Turtles. I, I did ask myself that when we, we had mentioned Donatello, like, you know, recently, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I like him so much. Um, maybe cause he's like the thinker, you know, he's the, he uses his head. Yes. Maybe that's it. But I mean, I don't know. What about you? I think it is. I think it is that, that he sort of, I think he was more sensitive. I think he was more mm-hmm. sort of I feel like he was the communicator in the group, uh, but I also am just sort of remembering that I haven't watched an episode in forever. So maybe I'm, you know, sort of hoping that's true because that's what it, it, he feels like and represents to me. I do remember most kids made fun of me for, for like saying Donatello was my favorite. So it's like not most kids, some kids would, you know, because I think he was, he was the lame one, I think in terms of a, like in terms of weapons, like he had a staff, right. Instead yeah. of like cool, knives or, 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 uh, you know, uh, bow, like, I don't know the the terms, uh, of them anymore, 
but like swords or whatever they had, which were way cooler than a bow staff. Although a bow staff is pretty badass. That you're going to fight with wood is pretty cool. Um, that's like seems more brave to me. But like I think it was sort of that he wasn't loud. He wasn't. Uh, he just seemed sort of understated. And I thought mm-hmm. he sort of led by example, whereas Leonardo was sort of the giving orders person. Um, exactly. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I totally agree. I, yeah. He's sort of like you know, behind the scenes, he's really the brains behind the operation. Whereas, you know, like you said, Leonardo is the leader, but would that team really work without Donatello? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's like the Beatles, right? Like even if you take Ringo Starr out of the Beatles, I don't think the Beatles work, even though I think most people would probably disagree with me there. But like, I mean, obviously he was the least important musically, but um, but I think it's like a, a good team. Everyone needs to be in it. And I think that is true of the turtles. And I think that's also, they're almost like an inside out sort of thing where it's like each one represents a feeling or a, an archetype that we can all sort of hold on to. I think those are always why we love them so much. That's true. That's true. I mean, I think we're going to, we're both going to be in the Donatello pajamas, uh, you know, this episode. Cause I think, and I, and I did wear those for like a full year straight as a kid. Um, <laughs> But because I think that is sort of the the ethos that I I, hang, I think I wanted to have and had as a kid. And then I think I lost it along the way because it was sort of beaten out of me. Uh, and I was wondering, you when we were talking about masculinity and, and sort of what topic we could talk about within it, you said you had sort of a childhood story that we could, you know, sort of maybe dive into and then see where we go from there. Yeah, I have a story. I mean, I remember in third grade, in third grade just to sort of paint a picture, I was in a third grade, fourth grade split class, which is not exactly crucial to the story, but I feel like it's just worth mentioning. So, you know, one teacher, half the class is third grade, half the class is fourth grade. So that was sort of like, you know, that's the world, the world of my third grade. But the story involves uh, music class. I don't remember how many days a week, or for how long, but we would go to the music room with Jim Hachimonji. He was the teacher, um, really great guy, great teacher. And so I guess the reason I mentioned the split class is because it's a small group of kids. It's like probably like 10 kids. And so it's a kind of an, like an intimate class, you know, it's not like the music teachers teaching like 30 kids or something. And I remember we were singing Michael row your boat ashore. And I remember singing like I was really singing, like I was a kid, so had a very high pitched voice and I'm actually trying to sing the song the way you're supposed to sing the song. And right, you were, you were into it. You were enjoying singing, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was, I was enjoying it. I was, um, giving it my all, you know, very high notes. And, uh, you know, the other guys, the other boys in the class laughed. I mean, they they thought it was funny that I would actually, you know, try to sing. And that, you know, my, I mean, at that point, all of our voices are high pitched. But the fact that, like, I wouldn't be ashamed of that was very funny to them. Because when it was their turn to sing... You know, it's like they're like half-assing it. They're like not really singing. They're playing safe. And I remember, safe. yeah, yeah, they're playing safe. They're not. They somewhere along the line, 
they were taught, you know, like, you know, you shouldn't have a high pitch, like you shouldn't actually have a high pitched voice. You shouldn't actually sing and sound like a girl or, you know, and I remember the teacher like supporting me. So it was like really interesting because Mr. Hachimonji is supporting me. He's like saying, no, like you're, this is how you're supposed to do it. You know, keep doing it like this where, and then the little, my classmates, my male, male classmates are meanwhile, like chuckling. And, and the thing is like, Mr. Hachimonji, he wanted me to be in the choir, but I didn't do it because I, you know, cause those kids, <laughs> uh, they made me feel bad. Uh, so yeah. I was like, I can't be, I was like, you know, I'm not, I can't be in the choir cause that's, uh, I don't want to deal with that. Because they made you feel shame, right? Like they, cause they felt shameful, I guess about their voices, right? Like we're not men yet, but we're going to make fun of Matt for using his voice. Um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That like, and obviously you remember it and that it, and, and I've heard you sing a lot since, uh, like, a, like, as like, um, like in improv and also like karaoke. So obviously you a, were able to rediscover it, but you're also a good singer. So like, I can see why it would be even more like, fuck, like I wanted to, I wish these kids hadn't fucking ruined it. Is yeah. That, I mean, yeah. but like, it's just one of those, it's, I guess I view it as it's just sort of, it's sad because not that I was like, had dreams of being like a big singer or right, right, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's just, it's sad because, you know, when you're a kid, you let somebody else, you know, if somebody like makes fun of you or bullies you for something, it's very easy to like be turned off by that, you know, be like, okay, well, I guess, I'm not, I guess I'm not supposed to sing. Like, I guess boys are not supposed to do that. Um, just cause of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like their older brothers taught them, you know, you're not supposed to have a high pitched voice. Um, or you're not supposed to like try, like take anything seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Which is totally that's, I mean, that is toxic masculinity at age eight you know, and, and it is sort of like, oh, we can't sing or we don't want to sing. We would never be caught dead trying and make fun of you for doing it. And like, I would say that like, it definitely is, I think as a kid in adolescence, obviously like high school is sort of like a fucking Petri dish of like doing things for, because you want people to see you in a certain way, but what is social media? What is I think adult, I think it's the same for adults. Although I think we do hopefully have a little bit more strong structure about who we are, but like when you're eight, you really want everyone to like you. You want these probably, you probably like these kids. I don't know. Did you, or like you wanted to be friends with them? I like, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, they were okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I did. Well, it's funny. I mean, I'm not saying I, like I wasn't a perfect kid. I'm oh, like no, no, I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to. I'm not. I don't want to paint this as like I was the perfect child, and then these were the evil children. <laughs> I would say that, um, like, I, there's not a lot of footage of me as a child. My parents like d didn't have a video camera, but there is video of me in third grade because we had to make these video messages 
uh, for uh, prospective pen pals from a school in Petaluma, California. Ah, okay. And I have a VHS tape, and it's like all the different kids in the class giving their like introducing themselves basically uh, on video. And it was just, it's really interesting to like compare and contrast the kids and be like, every single, like almost every single kid mentions that they like pizza. And there's a lot of crossover between the kids and they're like kids, they just seem like they're kind of like, like, you know, I'm in a, I'm not liking this. I'm not enjoying this. Like I'm a, you know, like I'm a tough kid. <laughs> and we're in like Too cool for grade. school. Yeah. When he's eight years old. Wow. And meanwhile, I'm like, my favorite baseball teams are <laughs> the Orioles and the Dodgers and lots of other teams. <laughs> my hobby is playing with dogs. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just like, I don't think there's any filter or I'm not censoring myself. There's no shame in anything that I'm saying. So I just think that's, it was just like interesting to watch those old videos and like, be like, wow, like that was before anyone had really <laughs> like uh, gotten to me in a negative way. And so that was, was that film before the choir incident? Well, that's like, I might be exaggerating just how much of an impact that had, the, the choir thing. It's just memorable because the teacher is, it, the teacher is pulling one way and the students, the, the classmates are pulling another way. And I think for me, that's why it's so memorable, just because I'm in between. Mm. And, and so it's confusing because it's like, who do you believe? Who's right? Because especially when you're eight, there's got to be a right way and a wrong way. And, you know, I think you, we, at eight especially, we're like, oh, the adult is right. But when there's, you know, you care kind of more about what the eight, the other eight-year-olds think because they're the ones you're going to like see more, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, that in-between feeling I think is, is where I always feel as well. Like sort of, uh, and it's sort of a belonging thing, right? Like you don't know exactly, you don't want to, you don't really want to be with those kids, but you also don't want to be friends with the teacher because then you're a loser, right? Or, or whatever it is, like not in that scenario. That's not, I'm not saying that's what you were doing, but mm -hmm. like, that's sort of what's, maybe happening in your head, but, but yeah. yeah. And then, and you know, eventually, I mean, in fourth grade, I did join the band. So I played the trumpet in the band, mm. which is a more, I would say it's probably considered a more masculine thing than singing. Uh, but I did, you know, I met some great friends um, who were my friends for a number of years. So you did find like a comfortable place in music that was safe from a masculine perspective, right? Yeah. Because like, even I think if you weren't in the band, I think people in the band were sort of like jeered, I think, in a way. I, at least mm -hmm. I remember that. I, I didn't like people in the band because I didn't have any musical talent. I remember, like I was jealous, you know, it was a very simple thing. I, I don't think it had anything to do with masculinity. It was just sort of like, I never had the musical gift or I didn't know. I never learned how to do it basically. So it just felt so foreign to me, but I think it felt like there was this sort of stigma against, you know, especially like in high school, if you're in the band, the marching band, it felt like that was a thing to make fun of, but like, 
God, it's so cool. You know, like all these different, like whatever you like is cool. Like that's. Yeah. I love being in the band. Yeah. And also, and also Mr. Achimonji, honestly, like one of the best teachers I ever had. You know, when you're a kid, I don't think you maybe fully appreciate how somebody teaches. Mm. But um, it's again, it's like Donatello. It's like, you know, leading by example um, and encouraging you to, you know, be creative and just, you know, learn a new uh, talent and just uh, grow. And even sort of not forcing the issue, right? Like, it's not like he forced you to be in choir when you said no, um, but then you found your way back to him, right? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is really cool. I think um, your story made me think of, I think the moment, it's sort of like what you said, where it's like, I feel like because I remember it, it's taken on bigger importance than maybe it did. But I think, but I think it is important because this is sort of, we write these stories of our lives and I think there's a reason we remember it. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think the first huge moment of shame that came for me was, I think it was around the same age. I think it was like seven or eight years old. And basically for school, basically it was an event that every, like the teachers and, you know, principal basically was like, hey, we're gonna wear costumes on Friday or whatever day it was. Everyone wear your Halloween costumes or whatever it was. It wasn't Halloween or any close to it. It was just sort of like, let's have fun, you know, day. And I was super excited about it because my mom had made a white Power Ranger outfit that was awesome. And I, and I wore it for Halloween and I was like, oh my God, cool. This is like another thing where I can wear this. Like I have an excuse. And so I go to school in my white Power Ranger costume and no one dresses up. No, like no one does it because they were like, everyone was the kid where they're like, oh, we're too cool to dress up. It's not Halloween. That's the only day where we're allowed mm -hmm. to be weird now. And that's not even being weird, but it was just like, and I remember being so embarrassed and being sort of like, everyone's looking at you and, and like, I didn't, I couldn't go and change, you know, cause that, and that also felt like a failure too. sort of like, if I go and change, then I'm sort of giving in. But I even remember like my friends sort of just like apologizing. They're sort of like, oh man, like they felt bad for me, but they also were sort of like, I could tell that they were sort of like, oh man, you're kind of a loser right now. Like I sort of felt that. Um, and I think I, that was probably the end of my school spirit until like maybe forever. Like, I, like, I don't know. Cause it was just like, that was me like wanting to be in it and having fun. And then it was sort of like, oh, I am not supposed to, apparently I didn't get the memo that like what these kids had gotten, where it's like, sorry, we're no longer caring about things. Uh, you know, especially things where it's like, you're dressing up and being, someone else or like something that, you know, if it was sports day, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sure everyone would have worn, you know, 18 Dodgers hats. And like, I would have been a hero for having the most hats or whatever it is. But like in this scenario, and also, I, I mean, I think maybe Power Rangers at that age was like, we all still liked it, but maybe it was reaching that age where like, we wouldn't say that we liked it anymore. You know? Yeah. I feel like um, I've been that person my whole life too. <laughs> I'm a few years older than you. I mean, not that much older, but a few years older than you. And I remember my friend and I, my friend Ben and I were fans of Power Rangers, but we kept it kind of secret because <laughs> um, it was getting to that age where it wasn't cool to like Power Rangers, um, but we still liked it. We were still fans. It was just like a secret. Like we weren't telling 
people at school that we were fans of Power Rangers. And that would make sense because, I mean, because you were older than me. So I think in terms of like the culture slightly, like this was probably third grade for me. Maybe it was, was it fifth or sixth grade for you? I don't know. Yeah, like, I think it was so, fifth grade. Yeah, fifth yeah. grade. Yeah, I was that for, I mean, I basically all my, it sucked because I think all the the things that I liked, except for baseball and basketball and football, and football came later, but it was like, I was definitely really into baseball and basketball. Those felt like the safe things to love. Uh, but like everything else that I was into, I, I kept a secret, you know, I, and I sort of, you know, like Beanie Babies, I was huge into, I, I loved comic books when I was older and in high school and middle school. And I didn't tell, you know, that was like, uh, this was before Marvel was everywhere. And it was sort of like this secret that I held. I don't think I needed to, but it felt safe to do that. Um, rather than be made fun of for Power Rangers or Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, you know, all these different things, which were cool. I think they, they all had these moments where they were trendy and cool, but I was always into them either first and then later too. Cause I like, I actually really liked them rather than just being like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm going to join the club. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it sucks. It, it sucked to like have to like, it felt like I had to hide my passion. Did you ever, you brought up baseball and sports. Yeah. Um, was there ever a turning point for you well, I'm just I'm just asking because yeah. there was for me. For me, there was a turning point in baseball where I didn't think. I just played. I just played baseball. And at some point, I started overthinking. Mm. And I got worse at baseball around, like, a certain age. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've described my whole life because, yes. Although... I think I always was in my head. I was always an anxious kid. Um, it just sort of got more, the more I think once puberty hit, that was the moment where I could no longer juggle both. You mm -hmm. know, I think it was sort of uh, my, like basically my peak was sort of eighth grade. And then once it was high school, I was no longer, the anxiety and the fear of failure became too much. And I was able mm -hmm. to, um, I mean, but it was always a battle. I was always like this nervousness that I have for just recording with you. It was so much worse for every sporting event that I ever played in. And I'm not a bad player. I, I held myself to a really high standard and I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be really good, but I also was too afraid to put effort in to, to do the preparation to ensure that I would be good because it felt like I sort of ensured my own failure instead, you know, like for high school, I didn't keep in shape and, and then I didn't make the team and that sort of wrecked me. But I, I sort of, I mean, I just, I wish, I wish I had therapy. I wish I'd had an outlet to be able to like talk about these things. Cause it just sort of felt like, I remember my dad gave me a sports psychology book when I was like a kid, like younger than this, like I could like read this textbook and like that was going to help. But like, basically my parents knew something was up, but like, I wasn't going to probably go to therapy if they asked me to like, cause that was like, Oh, you have a problem. But now I, I mean, now I am in therapy, but I like, I wish it. Mm -hmm. um, cause yeah, it, it is that thing. I think I do that with, and just even groups of people when I'm the new friend, the new player on a team, the new, the new kid, I'm, I actually like that a lot because I can be whoever I want to be. I can, I can create a new Andy. Basically I can sort of like try on, slightly different identities or they don't know that I suck at X yet, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, they don't know that I'm a loser. They don't know that I like beanie babies. 
I think you hit the nail on the head when you said puberty. Like that that was the turning point. That was yeah. that was when things were not as easy playing baseball and obviously other things in life, but uh right. <laughs> and also I, I relate to what you just said because you know, I had my ups and downs in baseball. I was never I wouldn't say I was ever great, but there were times where I was, you know, I was okay. And then there are times where I was really bad. <laughs> and uh, in practice, I was, I was at my best. Always, I feel like this is true for everyone. Like, I was so much better in practice. Than, I, I think it's true for people like us that overthink because practice doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So I remember after probably my worst year ever in baseball, where like, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think, and this is embarrassing, <laughs> but like, I think I only got like one or two hits the whole season. Like it was, it was a rough time. I was in, I want to say this is like sixth grade. It might've been fifth grade, but I was just like the year before, like our team had won the championship. I was like a pitcher on the team and a first baseman. I had a huge part in like our team's success. And then I moved up a level to like older kids mm. and uh, a coach that really didn't get me. And uh, I struggled a lot. And so, yeah, I had a really bad year, like easily like worst year, probably of any year I played sports in my whole life. Sorry. When you said that the coach didn't really get you, uh, how, how, what do you mean by that? I mean, like his coaching style, like, I feel like there's like, and it goes back to like, you know, like the tough man, right. You know, versus like the more like caring, considerate, thoughtful person. It was more like, like tough love. It was yeah, like sort of uh, the drill sergeant or like, you know, we're players, not people sort of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like other players on the team are like shitting on you because you, whatever you didn't get a hit or, uh, that's terrible. You made, you know, like you didn't catch a fly ball, something like that. And when I actually, when I think about it, I'm like, Oh man, the top, it's like, I forgot like the top bully in my elementary school was on my baseball team. <laughs> You know, there are people that are whatever, they're taking their own stuff out on you because you're struggling. So that was a rough, that was the worst year easily. The next year, uh, I had a different coach who actually, I think he got, I think he understood who I was. Like, I think he knew who I was and he knew how to coach me because I did a lot better. Baseball was so much easier after that terrible season. <laughs> you know, I feel like the coach sets the tone. Or if the coach, like, lets people be mean, then people are going to be mean. Or if the coach says, like, no, we're not going to do that. Or if the coach, like, actually, like, applauds people's efforts in front of the other players, it has an impact. I mean, yeah, because... They're the adult, they're the the mentor figure, they're the one who's supposed to know what they're, you know, doing. And and you fall, yeah, it's sort of following by example again. You know, we we want the Donatello. I don't think necessarily a bad coach was any of the other turtles in this scenario, but like <laughs> yeah. 
Shredder, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Shredder, the coach, the baseball coach. (laughs) I was going to, I think this sort of, we can move on to sort of, I guess, emotions, you know? And I think we talked about Mm -hmm. it a lot in terms of, you know, even in the singing, you know, these, these boys are basically telling you not to care. And that is, and caring is an emotion and not necessarily like happy, sad, but it's just sort of like, you are showing emotion, you are being in it. Uh, But I was just wondering like how, as a kid, or I guess now, like, where are you at with emotions? Like, do you struggle emoting? I don't know. It's a terrible question. Yeah, I would say this past year has been really rough and uh, I've had no problem emoting in this past year. I've probably cried more in this past year than I have the previous, I don't know, at least like decade. Um, And like, I'll even like listen to a song and it'll make me cry, you know, like, there will be a specific song that every time I listen to it, it makes me cry. <laughs> um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I actually know when it got easier to emote. Um, Cause I got so good at not crying or not showing emotion, you know, like, <laughs> that's just beaten into you. It's, I mean, it's not just guys too. It's like everyone, but it's more, it's more so guys, but it is everyone where it's like, don't cry. Like the grown up doesn't cry. Um, there's no crying in baseball. Uh, exactly. Yeah. There's no crying if you're a boy for sure. Uh, or if you want to be a man, I, I, I feel the same way as you, like what you're saying about this last year that I have cried more in this last year and a half than probably since I was a kid, you know, since this was sort of beaten out of me, like you said. And the more I do it, the more, well, A, the more good it feels. But also I think it's sort of like the more often I'm able to get there and and I do feel better after. And it's also like not, that's the thing. It's like crying, we equated with bad. It was sort of like, oh, when you cry, something is wrong with you. You're either made fun of or like, oh, you know, point and laugh at the guy who's crying or just or it's not even that if we're being nice. It's just sort of like, whoa, you know, it's like a big deal. Like that Mm -hmm. kid is like having a moment. And for me, yeah, I just like I think I was like it was building up. And then there was a moment where I just like let it all come out like last year. And then since then, it's. I still, I still find myself building it up and sort of sometimes keeping it Mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, and it's so, I don't know that I'm doing it right. Like I'm not doing it on purpose anymore. It's just sort of like, oh, I have to, I have to be strong. You know, I, I can't cry because, or, or it's sort of like if Lily was crying, I can't cry too. You know, like someone has to be strong, you know, and it's sort of like, no, like, wouldn't it feel probably better if we're both crying together, you know, sort of a thing. And I think that that's sort of pervasive throughout society, or at least it feels like, um, but I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, well, I guess it's sort of like, 
it's terrible that we went through this year and a half and that we had to feel all these different things. But I, for me, I want that to be something to like a lesson I take away from being like, okay, no, I can still like to try and yeah, I've been practicing these emotions. I still want to be brave enough to show them when I'm not just in, you know, in the house at all times, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say, you know, last July, um, you know, I had to put my dog to sleep and, uh, you know, those are like the two weeks before that, the two weeks leading up to that are two of the worst weeks of my entire life. So yeah, I mean, I would say even in those two weeks, like I cried more in those two weeks than in the previous decade. And I don't know if that, you know, I mean, there's other things going on in the year and like, obviously so many things you love that you can't do. It all sort of adds up, um, to make it a tough time to, you know, um, for everyone, you know, like everyone went through different struggles in the last year. Some really, I mean, I know friends who, you know, they lost parents or they lost siblings and not just because of, not because of, you know, COVID, but just things like health things or just weird things that happened. Um, COVID is just like a cloud over the whole thing. You know, it's not even the reason for a lot of the terrible things that for whatever reason have happened in people's lives, at least that I know, like in like my family's, uh, you know, I have multiple family members uh, who have had cancer in the last year. Um, but yeah, everyone's, I mean, everyone's been through something. Uh, in the last year, but, um, but I mean, you've been through a lot and I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and, and, th and I mean, and I'm in it right now too. Like I, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess I'm moving to me because I no, I maybe, cause I'm slightly like, even in the middle of grief myself, I don't exactly know what the right thing to say is. Right. And there isn't a right thing to say. I think it's just mostly hearing hearing you right and listening and sort of like not being afraid by emotion or not being like I think I think isn't that what we want sort of like you want to know that the person's there if you need them but it's not like you want someone to force a conversation on you because that's not what we want either is that like it's sort of like we don't know what we want it's like this roller coaster is that accurate I mean it's, it's I think definitely everyone's different <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely a roller coaster. And, you know, it's good to have people reach out and say, like, you know, if you need anything, I'm here. But at the same time, you know, you just need to, you need to, I mean, you really do, you need to cry and you need to, uh, you know, grieve in some cases, uh, you need to just, I mean, it's really about, it's really healing is what it is. It's, we're all, he, I mean, like, we're all healing from something. Um, There's a lot to heal from. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, 
everyone is different. Everyone has had, you know, some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people, I mean, everyone has their different struggles, but we are all like, we're all healing. Have you felt more of a togetherness in the last year or sort of, I bet you it's like some ways you do and some ways you don't. Cause it's really hard. Like if you just don't see anyone, you know, it is, it's hard. It is. It's hard not to see your friends. It's hard not to be around your friends in person. It really, it really is. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I am getting closer to people. I feel a closer bond with my friends probably as a result of all of this. Right. The ones that you really, the ones that are important, like I think that's what you learn, right. Are the ones that stick by you or the ones that are there when you need them or vice versa, especially vice versa. It's a two way street. Yeah. I, I mean, like right now, like my friend is having his funeral services as we record this. And like, I couldn't go because I didn't have my second dose and it was in Baltimore. And it's just like, Huh, you're right about the COVID being like this cloud, but it's also like, it sort of gives this illusion that time is stopping, but there's so many other terrible things happening under that is not under the same umbrella. Uh, and it's almost like people, like, I think people, if someone died in the last year, you just assume it was COVID and it's like, no, not all the other things didn't stop too. And that just makes it, uh, it's just piling, you know? Um, yeah, it just makes it makes everything more difficult. Even if, even if it doesn't directly, you know, even if it's not the direct reason for something, yeah. yeah, the cause, it makes everything more difficult. You know, it makes taking your dog to the vet more difficult. It it makes Uh, seeing, it makes seeing a loved one more difficult or like going to somebody's funeral. It makes everything more difficult. Yeah. Now there's variables about like being safe where it's just like, oh no, like if there would be no question that I'd be in Baltimore right now, but it's like, I have to like make this sort of equation in my head and like be safe, you know, and and don't compound it because of what I feel I should do, you know, sort of a thing. But it's, but like, what is should I, I don't know. There isn't a right answer. Um, yeah, it just sucks. But like, I think that we are crying if it like, is is good. And I was going to sort of step back slightly from here and just sort of ask you, like, what was crying like in your family? Like what, or what was like, how was crying modeled for you? I guess, if that makes sense, like, Mm -hmm. was there a lot of crying in your family or not? I mean, that's a good question. Um, you know, like, I feel like I remember my mom crying. I think, I mean, to be honest, I think depression runs in my family. Not that that's the reason why, you know, somebody in my family would be crying, but I actually asked my mom recently if like, what memories does she have of me crying? Hmm. Cause I was curious. Cause like your memory is only so good, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you can only remember so many things and go so far back in your life. Um, so I was just curious, like, was I really emotional? Like, and I guess, I guess I was, I think because I'm an introvert, I think that might also have something to do with it where like, 
I'm not crying a lot. Like I'm not a lot of that emotion I think is also being kept inside just because I'm an introvert. Yeah. You don't want attention on you. Yeah. But I do, it's, I do have very clear memories of times when I did cry as a kid, just because. They were memorable uh, because they didn't happen a lot. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine's the same way where like, I remember like two clear incidents where it's sort of like, I think I just sort of snapped or broke. And and I think both of them were sort of, one was in public, which is really, well, public meaning it was like there were people over at the house. And then the other one was with my, at my grandmother's house and my parents weren't there. And it was sort of like this like homesickness thing slash being forced to do some social interaction that I did not want to do. And so I was just freaking out, you know, like we were going to go to a doll factory and meet like, a girl my age and her parents, you know, and it was just like, and my sister, she did not struggle with social interaction. She wanted to go. She was excited. And it was sort of like, why are you so weird that you'd be upset and not want to do this? And so, and then my grandma was the same way of like, this is good for you. you like, you need to, you know, meet a, uh, you know, make friends, you know, like mm-hmm. this is going to be fun. And it was just like, it, no, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I, and, and the only way if no one was listening to it, I, then that would be when I would sort of throw, you know, when I would yell. And and that happened with sports too, actually, when I like was unable to say, to connect to my parents, how much this was hurting, how nervous I was, how anxious I was, how much I did not want to go to Hoop Academy, which was like a baseball, a basketball camp, actually basketball. And it was just, cause it was just so terrifying. And I had to just like, I remember like just crying in the parking lot to, at my dad and just saying like, don't let make me go in there. You know, and it was, it was like this, like, oh, I'm not supposed to quit things thing. And I know, and I, I agree with that in a certain way, but it was just like, clearly the pain was just like, not worth the me doing mic and drills. You know, it was just like, so those were, I think the moments where I, I cried, but for my mom, it, I think it was actually very similar. Not that she would do tantrums, but my mom rarely cried. But when she did, it was a huge deal. It was like, and it was always sort of because of something my sister and I did is what it felt like. It was sort of like we were arguing. We were too much. We were being so annoying. We were being like all in her face. And she just sort of broke down crying. And it was like, oh shit, we broke mom. Oh shit. We, we, it's, we did this. It's our fault. And, and then my mom would like go away, you know, so she would sort of extricate herself from the situation and like go and, and it was just like, there's a lot of guilt and shame there. It was like, oh, we made mom cry. And so it sort of, I don't think it wasn't intentional on any part, but it was sort of like, it made crying seem like a really, really big deal because it didn't happen yeah. very often. My dad never cried. My sister cried a lot. She was doing tantrums all the time and she would fake crying. Mm-hmm. And that's to me was why sometimes I don't trust crying because she would manipulate my parents by crying. And I knew that she was doing it to get me in trouble, you know? And, and it was just like, so yeah, I, I think all this stuff is like fairly recent me realizing all this stuff that has been under the, the crying umbrella. Yeah. I want to say my mom would probably cry in private. She would probably, you know, go to, the bedroom and that's probably where she would cry. And yeah, I also don't really remember my dad ever crying. My sister has fragile X syndrome. 
which is a developmental disability. And she's had, you know, she's had a tough, she's had a tough life. You know, people making fun of her because she was different. You know, or just things in life just being harder. And it's also hard for, you know, the parents of a kid who has a disability. So I feel like, I don't remember specific moments, but I feel like, you know, some crying happened, you know, as a result of that, that it's just, you know, if you're just, if you're, if you're dealt a tough card to begin with at the start of your life, you know, there are going to be some tears as a result of that. And, uh, Yeah, I, I don't I, know. I, uh, I was going to say, I wonder if that like made it even harder to like cry yourself because it was sort of like, it felt like you didn't deserve to cry because you didn't have, she had, she's differently abled and her life is more difficult because of it. And sort of in a way, maybe as a kid, you're sort of like, you know, I don't like, I don't blame her for crying, but not, not that's not necessarily it. It's more like, oh, I don't deserve to cry. Like my problems are not big enough. You know, is it like something like that? Maybe I'm totally off base. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think there was never a conscious choice. I feel like maybe it's, I mean, for me, I feel like maybe it's a defense mechanism hmm. to be like, to like when everything is chaotic to get calm or to not show emotion I feel like maybe that's a defense mechanism for me. Maybe it's because I'm an introvert. I think that's, it's kind of like control, right? It's like, oh, I can, it's all this crazy, like all the chaos around me. I can control myself. I can put everything in a box. I am not going to add to the chaos. I will be, and you're sort of shutting it down. Right. And I, I definitely yeah. know exactly what you mean. Cause it's like, oh, the world out there is terrifying. There's a lot of different things that you have no control over. And I learn more and more every day how little control I have. So yeah, that teaches you like, okay, I can control my body, my emotions. I am not, and I'm saying it in like a more manly voice. Cause it's like, Oh, <laughs> I'm going to be tough, you know, cause that is what I need to be, you know? And so you're sort of also, you're maybe tricking yourself. I, I like, I know, I think that mm -hmm. is like, I'm performing a lot of times people don't know that I like want to cry, you know, mm -hmm. like this happened in therapy I had to, I said like, oh, I've been almost cry, like wanting to cry this entire time. And, and she had no idea. And this is like my therapist. It's second nature to, it's almost like acting, but I don't even know that I'm doing it. Yeah. I just don't know how much is uh, like conscious, you know? Right. I, yeah. I don't uh, think it, I don't think it is a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is, I mean, there is something inside where if there is, you know, if it's a kind of a chaotic situation where somebody needs to be level-headed, like somebody needs to be, you know, even keel, you know, somebody needs to be calm. Donatello. Yeah. Donatello. <laughs> <laughs> That's our shorthand. <laughs> Um, but isn't that it? Like everyone else is going nuts and he's sort of like, we gotta, when does Donatello get to cry? You know? 
we're going to start, start the, uh, the descent into, okay. uh, um, so I was just wondering, and I think I asked this last episode of my friend Kat and I think, and, and she was like, Oh, I've never been asked that before. That's a great question. And it's, it's like sort of an awkward question. So bear with me, but it's sort of, I, th- and I think we like maybe all friends need to have this conversation, but it's sort of like, how can I be a better friend for you? And maybe vice versa, like going forward, mm-hmm. like, what do you like in a friend? What do I like in a friend? That's a good question. <laughs> That's what I think. It's I a mean, really hard question. I don't like, but like, I feel like we need to think about that before we make friends. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, a friend has to, they have to have some similar interests I mean, I think back to like your intro in this episode, um, you know, you want somebody that's going to go on adventures with you. You want somebody who's, who laughs with you, who can have a good time, who doesn't take themselves too seriously. You know, we all need to be able to laugh at ourselves at times. Otherwise, like, what's the point? Right. Like what's the what's the point of this all this whole thing if you can't laugh at yourself? And I guess what else do I look for? I mean, it, obviously like they need to care about you, you know, like they need to genuinely like they need to actually care about your feelings <laughs> and like want you to succeed. They need to be rooting for you, I would say. I, I like to surround myself with people who are, I would say, positive, like positive thinking people. And that's probably if you look at all my friends, I feel like that's probably true of all of them. In a way, it's an antidepressant to be, um, to have positive people around you. I'm not saying that's like the only reason, you know, it lifts you up, people that lift you up and don't bring you down. Yeah, because I think, it's a lot to ask of any friend to always be the positive person, you know? And I think that sometimes that I do feel like that is my role sometimes of like, Oh, but I think it's actually me being uncomfortable being sad. Uh, it's actually the other way. Um, but I, I'm totally with you. And like, I'm actually sort of learning like, yeah, friends, like I want friends that are fans, you know, sort of, of me, you know, and I don't mean in like, a. I just mean like, like what you're saying, they root for me. They, they want me to succeed in whatever I'm trying and also will help if they can. Uh, and, and I, yeah. And I want to do that for you for sure. And I, and I think, I mean, I think we are both fans of each other, uh, which is, and I think we've, we've sort of all had, we've had varied interests over the few years. Cause I think LA is sort of an experiment, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, an expiration, you know, and I think actually that's maybe what we both are like too, because we're sort of, I think, always exploring a little bit uh, different things, different passions. But I agree. Yeah. Well, Matt, I care about you. I care about your feelings. And thank you so much for coming to the Naked Man podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's great. Um, it's great being your friend. I'm so happy that we met, we connected. And, uh, you know, cheers to many, you know, many more experiences and bonding to come. Thank you for, yeah, sharing your, yourself with me and I will see you soon. All right. All right. Let's do it. 
I'm so grateful to Matt for joining me and trusting me and to you all for listening to our conversation. You'll be delighted to know that shortly after this episode, Matt joined my softball team. And you can find the soundtrack to Matt's life and all others on the Naked Man Spotify page. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all your friends and bandmates. And if you'd like to join our community, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Naked Man Pod. And don't hesitate to reach out to us at nakedmanpod at gmail.com. Better yet, call the Naked Man phone line at 747-231-7120 and leave us your feelings. Next time on the Naked Man Podcast, we return to the age of AOL Instant Messenger as I invite my old online friend Goki to discuss our digital lives and secret identities in adolescence and beyond. In the meantime, as my dad always says, be sweet. If you don't mind sharing, what is the song that you've been going back to? And every time you play it, you've cried. Summer's End. Cover of Summer's End by Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. Come on home. Come on home. You don't have to be alone. Just come on home.